Uh, he is a good man, uh, a dear friend. I love him dearly. It is a joy to be uh, with all of you. You need to know that he loves you dearly. And uh, just to say publicly that this family here at Sacred Heart of Here in Bruce Hart has done uh, some amazing things in his own heart too. So just on behalf of a best friend of a priest, because you never hear things like that, you don't realize how much you and your love for God pulls out of us um, the best. And so when we are with a people, especially men and women and families who really want the Lord and who want us to be uh, the fathers that God has created us to be, then it pulls the best out of us. And so just on behalf of Father Mike, because he never said, I just want to thank you for being you and for loving him the way that you have. And I want to say thank you for being here tonight. Um, I am in Grand Isle. The best part about Grand Isle has been the fishing that's been there. I have been able to rest a lot and uh, do some writing, but uh, it's just been great to, to be able to do some fishing with some really um, good friends who have some secret spots where the big trout are, but we're not going to tell you where uh, Mr. Official fishes or anything like that. Um, the, the gift of these things is that um, they, they go after the strangest things in the world, right? Um, some, some redfish, especially in, in Bayou du Lourdes, where I cut, cut my teeth on fishing after Mike, uh, they go after the new penny. They like that one right there. Um, and you can, you can spend days talking about the lures that fish like that go after. Um, sometimes, especially on the, on the nice day, you can go with a, with, a, with a spoon or a little rattle. This one right here. Kind of just present it right and on the right day with, with clear water. It just kind of spins and it's attracted to the to the light that's spinning in the water, but there's a rattle that, that he likes. This, uh, this, this transition in the Grand Isle was, was interesting. Uh, I started playing around with topwater, first time I ever fished with topwater. And uh, man, you, you look at this from, uh, from one side, and, and I guess as it's um, on top of the water at the, the right time of day, there's something attractive about it, but man, you put two treble hooks on there, and, and you, you begin to wonder why fish are actually attracted to stuff like this, right? They've got all kind of different topwater baits that are out there, right? And Mike and I, we're, we're playing around with this one today. Many of you may remember uh, Lent just a few years ago when, when Father Mike was able to to talk to you about the fact that we're rescued by God who rescues us. And he actually played around with a little fishing load like this. As you and I are looking at it, especially as we look at the, the treble hooks that are here, uh, we say to ourselves as, as you're looking at something like this, why in the world would a fish go after something like this? Well, it's all about presentation, right? It's all about presenting something to the fish that, that, that he thinks he wants. The problem with, with fishing and for the fish itself is that there's always a fisherman on the other end of the line, right? And the fisherman has only one desire in the hunt. To present something to the fish that the fish thinks he wants with the inevitable aim of landing him in a boat. And if it's just the guys in here tonight, we can be honest with ourselves and say that there's only one inevitable end of the way that that's going to end for the fish. His death. It's amazing. 
You present something to a fish and you rattle it or you hide it. You present something that will lead to his death and he will actually bite on it. Now, if there were things presented to you that appeared attractive, and those things that were presented to you were presented in such a way that they were only presented to you for your spiritual death, would you want to know about it? If there was somebody who was fishing, you might say, inside your marriage, and the only reason why that person was engaged in your marriage was for the the, the downfall of your marriage to threaten your identity as a husband and the safety of your wife, would you want to know if something was in your marriage that's not supposed to be there? I mean, please, God, if, if somebody was in your family, fishing inside your family with your kids, would you want to know about it? Because sometimes what is presented to us is presented to us in such an attractive way that some of us who walked in tonight are dying and you have no idea that you're in an ice chest right now. And I love you enough. Father Mike loves you enough to have an honest conversation about some of the things that men are facing right now. And it's my hope that by the end of the night that we would just be a little bit more sober and a little bit more awake and a little bit more aware of how God is calling every one of us to take our spiritual lives just a little bit more seriously. Amen? Amen. Now, first quote. I want to share with you something that came from St. Paul. St. Paul is just, we're quoting, right, from Ephesians chapter 6, is this long litany of what St. Paul's talking about. But there he says to every one of us here, he says, finally draw your strength from the Lord and put on his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the enemy, right? There, there is an enemy. One of the tactics of the enemy these days is amongst American Christianity and and please God amongst American Catholic churches for us just to water down the fact that there's not an enemy and and Jesus Christ just wants everybody to be a nice person. Please God, if Jesus Christ died on the cross and the ultimate goal for us is to be a nice person, that we would rediscover what it means to be a Christian. So without being overly uh, dramatic about it, St. Paul says there is an enemy, and if there is an enemy, you are being tempted by an enemy. Your marriage, your family is facing an enemy. St. Paul says that our struggles, let's stop right there. How many of you have struggled in your marriage? How many of you are struggling in your marriage right now? How many of you came from your house and your wife said, go to church? And it wasn't with, hey, honey, go to church, right? You ever see struggles inside your family and you just, you can't pin exactly what's going on or where it started? 
See, Paul says to us tonight that some of those struggles are not, he says, with flesh and blood, but with principalities, with powers, with the world of rulers of this present darkness, with evil spirits in the heavens. What that means is there's a spiritual life. There's a spiritual battle that many of us are facing. He says, therefore, put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything, hold your ground. So, he, so please, God, what would happen this Lent is that you and I would learn more about our spiritual lives so that we would be able to hold our ground. The first pope and the first encyclical ever written, right, from First Peter, the first pope says to us, be sober and vigilant. He says, be sober and alert, for your opponent, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him solid in your faith. The first pope in the first letter he ever wrote ended it. This is the end. And the last thing that the first pope said in the first letter that he ever wrote to the church, he looked at men and women, but he looked at men, and he says, please, God, brothers, take this seriously. Temptation's real. And please, God, the first time we take temptation seriously wouldn't be when we're hooked. The question is, what does spiritual attack look like for men? What does a spiritual attack look like for men? There's three words I want to introduce you tonight. Those three words are mission, identity, and relationship. Now, at the end of the night, we're going to properly understand this. We're going to put that on its head. But if you want to know where the attack is, it's right here. It's in these three words. Mission, identity, relationship. Say those words with me right now. Ready? Mission, identity, relationship. Say that with me one more time. Mission, identity, relationship. This is the modern-day battlefield. Now, it's going to have its face in, in, in internet pornography. It's going to have its face in infidelity. It's going to have its face in all the addictions that are out there, right? But underneath it all, what's given birth to, I think, a lot of what's happening in a lot of the struggles that men have is right here. It's in, our, it's in the way that we understand mission, identity, and relationship. It's much deeper than everything. It's much more subtle. Because in the end, if you knew what I was tempting you with, you wouldn't bite into it. These three words tonight we want to unpack together as we go through the way that men are attacked. First is we want to focus on our mission, right? And underneath that is there's an inordinate emphasis on what we do. Now you may say, Father Mark, that's easy for you to say because you're a priest and you don't have to pay the bills like I do. And that's true. You may, you may counteract with me and say, Father Mark, hey, here's the thing. I heard that men were supposed to provide for their families. You're absolutely right. But I also learned this a long time ago from Dr. Ed Hogan, that the enemy packages his lies in 90% truths. The enemy packages his lies in 90% truths. And one of the ways that the enemy is going to hook a lot of men is usually something that God has given us a call to provide, right? In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, Adam was given dominion over the garden. Adam was given the responsibility to provide and to protect the garden. But the enemy 
packages his lies in 90% truth, which is why you and I believe them. 90% of it is true. The question is not, should there be an emphasis on our mission in life? The question is there, should there be an inordinate emphasis on what we do in life? We'll talk about this more on Wednesday, but Andy Stanley has a great book where he talks about the tension that men feel in how much time they have to spend at work and how much time they want to spend at home. And he acknowledges the fact that no man is ever going to be able to spend as much time at work and as much time at home as he wants. And he says this, he says, when men spend too much time at work and not enough time at home, they abandon a role that only they can fill and choose one that almost anyone can. Let me say that again. When we put an inordinate emphasis on what we do, right, when men spend too much time at work and not enough time at home, they abandon a role that only they can fill and choose one that almost anyone can. Men, those of you who are dads, you're the only dad your kids have. And if you don't father them, someone will. Please God, if that happens, they're going to father your children with the values that you have. But right now, you want to know who's raising your kids? YouTube is. When was the last time you trusted that? Right? When we place too much emphasis on the mission, what happens for most men is we begin to search in the mission for our identity. Right? And then what happens is the mission begins to determine who we are. Happens all the time for men, right? The mission, it determines who I am. Many of you are familiar with John Eldridge's book, um, Wild at Heart. If you are, praise God. If not, let me just quickly uh, bring you up to speed quickly. He says that most men are searching to prove that they are somebody. And he says, many men will try to prove that they are somebody through the three B's, the ball field, the bedroom, and the boardroom. If we're all honest with ourselves, we all ask this question in very different ways. I've asked this question in my life, who am I? It is a fundamental question of who we are, and how we answer this question about our identity has more of an influence in your life than anything else. And some of you know this because you've been trying to not be like your dad ever since he hurt you when you were a kid, and you're driven in life to not be like your dad, or you're driven in life to be like your dad. Something's going to drive us. Something's going to move men in life. Something is going to galvanize our attention so that we can somehow prove that we are someone. So John Eldridge says that when, when men are younger, how do we seek to prove that we are somebody? On the ball field. Now in South Louisiana, that also might be at the camp. It might be fishing or hunting. It could be in sports. But for most men, the early chapter of life is trying to prove that they are a man in competition. And that competition transitions in puberty, and men seek to prove that they are a man in the bedroom. And please, God, one day we can repent for the women that we have used along the way to prove to the world that we are somebody. 
The problem is, is that there's no amount of trophies that you can amass, and there's no amount of chapters in your, your book of promiscuity that can, can prove who you are. But how many of us have been searching to prove who we are, either through competition when we were younger, through the bedroom, and then at some point, the ultimate quest for many men, maybe not you, but for many men, is in the boardroom. It's around money. It's about how big your boat is and how big your house is. It's about the security that we feel when, whenever we look at our bank account. Now look, again, the enemy, right, he cloaks his lies in 90% truths. Right? Providing for your family is of God. Please don't hear me say that that's not of God. However, when our identity is connected to what we do, right? When my identity determines who—when I've got to prove who I am, well, then, then, then who I am, I feel good when, when things are great, right? I feel great when the economy is rolling. I feel awesome when my retirement looks strong. Things are good, right? I feel good about myself when my wife is doing well and my kids are, are doing great. And then what happens for men is when failure hits or the economy hits or COVID hits, right? Whenever we're no longer doing well, how does that affect most men? And if you want to track what that looks like in your own life and make a bet for you, that you grasp that sin a whole lot more whenever you feel less confident with who you are. And now we're wide open. For anything that can help me forget about failure or anything that can help me forget about the tension in my marriage, and anything that can help me forget about the fact that it's hard raising kids. An inordinate focus on our mission, it's, it's what our culture baits you with. When was the last time you introduced to somebody, yourself to somebody? How did, you, how did you do that? My name is Mark, and I'm a priest. My name is Bob, and I'm a vice president. My name is Sam, and I'm a teacher, right? It, it, it is how we define who we are. And when our mission claims our identity, it then begins to impact our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. So there's this paradigm, right, of mission and identity and relationship. And what eventually happens is my relationship, right, with God is determined by or experienced through how well I am doing or how much I am doing. I don't know what brought you here tonight, and I don't know what your Lent has been like or where you are in your relationship with God. I'm just excited you're here, really. And I want to repent publicly before you tonight just for the number of times that I have grasped at my relationship with God. I can't tell you how many times I, in my own life, 
that my relationship with God has been influenced by, seen through, determined by how well I am doing. Man, when I am doing well as a priest, man, when that homily is good or things are going well in the parish, I feel much better about myself and I go before God with this false pride. But when I'm struggling as a priest and things aren't going well, how well I am doing is, is, is I'm not at my best. I've worn glasses since I was uh, probably in second grade. These lenses influence dramatically the way that I see reality. My eyes don't work the way that they're supposed to. And so my experience of reality is determined by the lenses through which I look at life. And I put these lenses on, and the shape of the lens influences the way that I perceive reality. Here's what happens in this dynamic of mission, influencing identity, influencing relationship. When you're feeling good about the mission, which makes you feel better about who you are, then that's the lens through which you look at God. But what happens when things are struggling or things are hard? The same thing happens, right? It's the lens through which we look at God. Right, so when I'm struggling with sin, when I'm grasping at something to help me just forget how I feel, then that's the lens that I look at God. So why is it that so many men have ups and downs in your spiritual life? Well, there's a lot of reasons why that is. But I think one of the most influential things in a man's life is that the reason he's struggling with God it's because he's struggling with the way that he's looking at God. When I'm looking at God through the lens of failure, I think God thinks I'm a failure. When I'm looking at God through the lens of sin, I think God only sees my sin, whatever it is. So then what happens is I get on this overactive compulsive treadmill of how much can I do for God for him to finally pay attention to me. Right, all the overachieving that I, I have adopted in the way that I look at my mission in life, I now project all that overactivity on what am I doing with the Lord. Man, if I just said enough prayers, then God might speak to me. If I just did this, or if I just did that, then maybe God will, will actually be engaged in my life. Now, we have to take responsibility and be engaged with God. We're going to talk about this in a couple seconds. But that gets exhausting. This paradigm right here of our lives being inordinately focused on what we do, that has all kinds of influence on our identity, then our relationship with God is influenced. So what happens is, you see how volatile this is? It's the same thing with our families, right? Same thing with your marriage, same thing with your parents, same thing with your siblings, same thing with your community, right? When we are so focused on what we do and that determines who we are, then our relationships at home suffer the same way. If you have the courage, I would ask you to go home tonight and ask your wife about this. 
If you really have a lot of courage, if you have a lot of courage, ask your kids about it. Because your kids know. The people that are closest to us know the way that we see ourselves. Now, at some point in life, that just gets exhausting. And at some point in life, you get tired. And at some point, you get tired of being tired. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't shake your head. But who's tired? Because when we're tired, what is this is attractive. It's the midlife crisis. It's the frustration of 2020 and all the pressures that were there and all the pressures that were here. You know, a crisis like a pandemic or even the crisis that our nation was in last year with the election and all the tensions that were there. What a crisis does is it's like a, a magnifying glass. It simply exposes so that everyone can see that which was already there. Now imagine if God could say something to us tonight to give us hope. Would you be willing to listen for that? Imagine if there was another way to live and you didn't have to live like that. Would that be worth listening for? Monsignor John Essef, who was a brilliant spiritual director, who was a really um, uh, beautiful person in my life at one point, he once said to me as I was kind of, um, kind of living out of this unhealthy paradigm, he said, there are always two temptations presented. The real temptation is often hidden by something that has our attention. Right, so there's no coincidence in the spiritual attack. Right, there's always two temptations. And as long as we're looking over here, we'll never see the one that's coming right here. And the reason I say that is because the, temp the real temptation is that you and I never questioned the first paradigm. We, we just grew up in the good old U.S. of A., right, where when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Pull yourself by, by your bootstraps. You can do anything you want if you just work hard enough, right? No, you can't. And at some point, you come face to face with that. Right? All of the seduction around the temptation is in the fact that none of us ever questioned whether or not mission identity relationship could be any other way. And in the gospel, it's actually not define, defining us, mission and identity relationship. It's actually, when you look at Christ himself, you look at the saints, you look at the disciples themselves, he presents something different, right? He presents to us relationship, identity, mission. Let's take a look at relationship first. What does it look like when our relationship with God is the first thing that's there? Here's the good news. This comes from the Catechism, number 2567. When I read this quote, it changed my entire perspective. It changed my life, right? And the church right here is defining for us, right, what it means to pray, 
what it means to be in relationship with God. And the Catholic Church, the official teaching of the Catholic Church says that God calls man first. Stop right there. That might happen. This is my life on display right here. It says, man may forget his creator or hide far from his face. He may run after idols or accuse God of having abandoned him. Let me just stop right there for a second. This is defining what it means to be in relationship with God. How many of us have done that? Right? The first thing that happens is we forget God. And that's what happens when there's an inordinate pressure on us to provide. When there's too much pressure on the mission, we forget our priorities in life. We forget who God is. We forget who we are. When we forget God, then what will happen is we'll grasp after sin. Who just misses out on my, my nieces and my nephews' lives. My family's dear to me. My sister Diana has two very beautiful twin boys. And in some way, they, they are the sons that I will never sire. They were living in Homa, and they were really young, and I remember my sister calling, hey, we're getting together tonight. I can't make it. I'm the guy in my family who always shows up late or has to leave early or says I'm coming and I never do. Month after month, my sister calls and says, hey, you coming? And I remember distinctly one night, I was coming out of a pastoral council meeting at St. Lucie's in Homa. And I was driving somewhere because I'd overcommitted that night. And my sister called and says, hey, you promised you were coming. Are you coming? I was like, no. And she said, I'm not going to stop calling. And I remember I started crying in the car. Because I just figured at some point my family's going to get tired of me. They're going to get tired of broken promises. They're going to get tired of asking me. They're just going to get tired. And then I came face to the face of the fact that I actually think that God gets tired of me. How many times is God going to forgive me of the same sin? How many times am I going to have to grovel my way back to the Lord and say, I have done this again? See, there's a deep fear, and I think a lot of guys, that God's just going to get tired of us. So here's the truth about our relationship with God. The living and true God tirelessly never gets tired of calling us back. He never gets tired of reaching out to you. He calls us first. He never gets tired. Our relationship with God is not dependent upon us. It's somewhat dependent upon a God who's never going to get tired of reaching out to us. Of course, we have to respond to that, right? But the good news for some of us, you walked into church today and you actually do believe that your relationship with God is dependent upon you and how good, how good you, you are and how, how successful you are. It's not. God's reaching out to you. And on the other hand, some of us think that God has given up on you. That's a lie. That's the sound of the enemy. Stephen Covey once said that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? That's the most important thing in life. Figure out what's most important and keep that most important. Our relationship with God has to be the number one thing in our life. And what happens is that then informs our identity, right? What happens is when I know whose I am, I know who I am. 
I've had a, a particular relationship with my dad ever since I was a kid. Nothing bad happened. I just made a mistake when I was like five or six, and I've been afraid of my dad ever since. My dad's a good man. Has nothing to do with him. Has everything to do with me. And the reason I'm driven and the reason I'm intense and the reason why I like to win is because I've been trying to prove myself to my dad ever since I was five years old. There have been moments where I've made some pretty big mistakes in my life, and I've had to come groveling back to my dad asking for help. Nothing that I could ever do will change the fact that biologically, I am the son of Prosper Tubes. Legally, especially in today's world, you can do all kinds of things with disowning yourself or taking legal actions to separate that. Here's the thing, biologically, I can never do anything to change the fact that biologically there's only one man who was my father, and nothing that I can do in my life will ever change the fact that I am the biological son of Prosper Tubes. Men, nothing that you can do will ever change the fact that you are a son of a heavenly father who was tirelessly reaching out to you, right? When I know whose I am, I am the son of a father who regardless of how many mistakes I made is ready to forgive me. When I know whose I am, I know who I am. So whether this talk tonight goes well or it doesn't go well, that doesn't change my relationship with God and it doesn't affect who I am. And when we, we know whose we are, and we know who we are, then you can face retirement like some of you have and not panic because you're no longer working and, and that defined who you were. Or you can go through empty nest and your kids can move out and you cannot panic because that no longer defines who you are. The success of your kids or the health of your marriage or how much money you have or whether you can compete with anybody or whatever it is. When you know whose you are, this God who claims you, then you don't have to prove that you are anyone anymore. Right? So when my relationship centers me first, and I know whose I am, then the temptations, they change, but they don't have the same type of seduction anymore. Right? The enemy wants to attack who we are. And imagine if every one of the temptations that comes at you no longer had the same hook because you knew whose you were. Now when that happens, then, then everything changes, including the way that we look at mission, right? So what happens is our relationship informs our identity, from our identity comes our mission, right? And then there's order. What is your mission? Well, notice that your profession is fourth on the list. Your mission is not first and foremost for some of us to go to work tomorrow. 
The number one mission that every man in this church has is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And anyone else who would tell you anything else only has one motive. Do you think our nation would be stronger or weaker if every man took seriously his mission to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The early church grew not because of, of just the fact that it was close to the message of Jesus. The reason why the church was so strong at the beginning is because men took seriously what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when people looked at them, they said, if that's what it means to be a disciple, I want to be one. Nothing speaks to an alcoholic more than one of his drinking buddies gets sober. And the reason why America is not taking the Christian church seriously right now is because we haven't given them a reason to. When we are living just like the rest of the nation is, why would the rest of the nation want to be Christian? The first mission that you and I have coming from Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 is that we would be disciples for him and please God, we would reach that point in our nation once again. Now for those of you who are married, your next mission is to be a husband. It can't be fourth on the list anymore. Whatever your priority was walking in, you cannot walk out tonight without your wife being number two. Your mission as a man, if you are married, is to be a husband. Not to be a husband the way that perhaps you always thought you were supposed to be a husband or the way that you were shown to be a husband. Would your, would your marriage be better or worse if you were a husband the way that Jesus Christ asked you to be? Number three, your mission for those of you who have kids is to be a father. Now there are many things that are plaguing our nation right now, but this is at the heart of it right here. If your job is more important than your kids, can you repent tonight? Because if you know more about what happened at work today than what happened in your kids' lives today, can you repent for that? You're the only dad they have. Whose job was it to have dominion over the garden? Adam. Where's Adam at in the temptation of Eve? Nowhere to be found. Adam had one job, protect the garden. Adam had one job, protect your wife. Where's Adam at? He's at the camp. He's at work, playing golf. He's looking at porn. See, when Adam isn't there to protect Eve, don't blame Eve. Every man should stand up and say, that, that's my fault. That's, that, that's Adam's fault. Once things are good at home, once things are good inside your relationship with God, then God is going to show you how he wants you to provide. Who's a better provider, you or God? 
this God who split red seas, this God who raised Lazarus from the dead, this, this God who is intimately involved in every aspect of our life. It's not that you become a Christian and you just sit back and wait for the money. That's not truth. But it's all ordered. In the end, when we get to heaven, God is unimpressed with all of our professional accolades. He just wants to know, are you going to heaven or hell? He just wants to know, because of you, where's your wife going and where are your kids going? I want you to sit with that for a second. I want you to sit for that for you. You get to heaven one day, like, hey. And all of a sudden you realize your, your wife's in hell because she followed your lead. And you got to sit with that forever. Your mission is to stay in relationship with God. Your mission is to not grasp at ways to prove who you are. Your mission is to be a disciple, to be a husband, to be a father, and then to let God show you how to provide. I was pastor of two beautiful black Catholic churches for a number of years. And my first Sunday, I was probably 30 seconds into a homily, and they all started saying, amen. And I was like, man, I think I could get along with this congregation right here, right? And like two months later, we were like, mass was like two hours long, and homilies were like 45-minute Bible studies, and they were all saying amen. And all of a sudden, like six months into it, there was some drama going on inside the church, and I don't like drama. So I just talked about it from the pulpit, called people out. And guess what they didn't say that day? Nobody said amen. And at the end of the homily, Charles Mack, may he rest in peace, wise old man, stood up in the back of the congregation and said, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Hey, brothers, if you can't say amen, at least have the honesty and the courage tonight to say ouch. Because Father Mike didn't bring you here, nor does your wife. God did. And he's got a question for you. And that question is, who are you? And that's the question that we're going to now transition into some time of prayer and worship kind of centered on. Who are you? Many of us have defined ourselves for a number of years, defining yourself based off of how successful your mission was. You were that guy who did that thing. Many of us, as we have asked that question, said, I'm never going to be like that, or I'm going to have to be like that. This is probably one of the simplest but most piercing and personal questions that any man can ask himself. Who are you? Because you can lose your job, and you can lose your money, and you can lose your house. And all those things that so many of us define ourselves by are fleeting. And what would it be look like for us tonight to hear the voice of the Lord speak truth to that question? After all, it was the most important thing that Jesus Christ ever heard. He heard it at his baptism. He heard it at the transfiguration. 
And what was the one question that Pilate, in his audacity, asked Jesus? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? You can either listen to the voice of this person answer that question, or you can begin to listen to the voice of truth. I invite you to close your eyes with me just right now. Just close your eyes. And just look inside your heart. Because when God made you, for some of you, he's been waiting your entire life for tonight, this moment, where he can speak truth to you. Just close your eyes. Look inside your heart. There's no amount of sin that you have committed in your life that is going to change the way that God defines you or looks at you. Some of you have been carrying a sin in your past. You haven't forgiven yourself since it's happened. You haven't forgiven someone else since it's happened. That, that event has defined who you are. The question for you tonight is, who are you? Some of us are struggling with expectations because life doesn't look like the way you thought it would. Or 2020 didn't look like you thought it would. Or 2021 doesn't. Your marriage doesn't look like what you thought it would. Your kids don't look like what you thought they would be, right? It's expectations that are determining who you are. And the voice of Jesus Christ is asking you now, who are you? What would it be look like for us tonight if we were free to hear his voice and free to be the men that he's called us to be? With your eyes closed, just look inside your heart because the church said that God is tirelessly calling us. He never gets tired. So much so that his son he took on flesh so that we could see him. And his son gave us the church and gave us the Eucharist so that we could see him. And tonight, as the Eucharist comes to you, I invite you to listen inside your heart. Who are you? Heavenly Father, we, we come before you as your sons tonight, as men, and we beg you to speak to us. Bless our ears tonight that we would hear your voice. Bless our hearts that we may be present to the present moment. My brothers, in the silence of your hearts, I just ask you right now, if you can just give God permission. In the silence of your hearts, just say, God, I give you permission. In the silence of your hearts, just say to God right now, God, speak to me, please. Be present to the present moment. Let's open up our hearts for prayer. And let's let the Lord speak truth to who we are.
Jesus Christ, as we look at you, we know you're looking at us right now. As we behold you, we believe you are beholding us. Give us the grace to stay still tonight on the inside. Give us the grace that we need to let ourselves be seen and let ourselves be spoken to. We thank you tonight for the gift of the Eucharist, Lord Jesus. We love you. We give you permission to speak to our hearts tonight. My friends, as we adore the Lord in the presence of the Eucharist, we know that it's the Word made flesh because God loves our, our bodies and God wanted us to see His body. As we pray tonight, I would encourage you to uh, just to befriend your body if is as we pray, if kneeling is the most comfortable and reverent way for you to pray, then, then please, God, allow yourself to kneel. If throughout our time of prayer you want to you sit because you're more receptive there, then the Lord wants you to receive from him tonight. Or if you want to stand, feel free to stand, especially as the Eucharist comes to you. But let your body catch up with your soul. And, and please, God, tonight we can be open to allowing ourselves to worship him Whoever we're most comfortable tonight.
I can't get enough 
There is nothing like your love. 
commit to or to give him permission to help you with. His blessing is vast, but it's personal. Let's ask for the blessing specifically where we need it. Blessed be God, blessed be his holy name. Thank you. 
This is how I fight my battles. 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 Let's sing that out together. This is how I fight. This is how I fight my Together. You may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like it you may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how it may look like. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how just the voices. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how so thankful for the movement of your spirit tonight in our hearts, that there can be no fear in your love, that we can stand firm in a foundation as men of Christ. Sing this out. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.
sing that out together. My fear doesn't stand a chance. My fear doesn't stand a chance Just the voices all together as a closing prayer tonight. My fear. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in One more time. Let me hear you a little louder. Just the voices loud tonight. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your here for Jesus tonight. Give him a hand. kind of praying over there, who maybe you don't have a relationship with God that's active and daily. And if that's that's where you are, that's okay. But you can start tonight, right? Tell you what changed my life. I started praying one psalm a day back when I was in college. It, It changed my life. So for any of you who would like to learn how to pray, maybe you don't have an active prayer life, that's okay. If you'd like to take a step in your prayer life, I want you to Grab a Bible tomorrow morning and open up to Psalm 1 and pray one psalm every day. There's 150 of them. And you start over whenever you hit the 150th, right? So for some of us, if you just want help in in learning how to pray, I would encourage you to go to the Psalms. The second, some of you um, started out for Lent strong. You came out charging on Ash Wednesday and life happened. And now it's the third week of Lent and you've lost some steam or lost some confidence, I'm gonna encourage you tonight just to recommit and start Lent all over again. All right, so regardless of what Lent has been like for some of you, either with your Lenten penances or your passions or your commitments, if you could just recommit to Lent and start afresh uh, tonight or tomorrow morning. Or thirdly, if I can say this as one who loves you, uh, some of you need to go to confession, okay? If you're looking for a sign from God that you should go to confession, this is it, right? It's not going to get any more graphic than this, right? Okay, so if you struggle to believe you, you should go to confession because you don't theologically believe you should have to go to a Catholic priest, 
I'll make a bet with you. If you initiate a conversation either with me or Father Mike, we'll meet you where you are and we'll at least have a conversation with you. But don't stand there in that posture when it's in the Bible and for the first 1,500 years, no one ever questioned going to confession until there was a protest, right? So for some of you, like I love you, but I don't want you to stay in sin. That's not what God wants, right? So the third encouragement is some of us just need to go to confession and you've got a great priest here who would love to hear your confession before Easter. So that's the third encouragement for some of us, right? So either psalm a day, recommit to Lent, or go to confession. I just want to say thanks for tonight and encourage you, if you uh, need to or want to, you can always listen to this talk uh, all over again. It's going to be online uh, on the uh, Sacred Heart website or the Facebook page, so you can access that if you'd like to and listen to it all over again or share it with it. Um, tomorrow night's going to be an awesome night, so let me give you a heads up of where we're going. You, if you, for those of you who are married, you want your wife to come tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about how you're always right, all right? So, like, this is it. I'm not going to tell them that, all right? So, hopefully she turned off Facebook by now, all right? So it's just, actually, if you're watching on Facebook, that's not what we're going to talk about, I promise. Um, but he is always right. So we can talk about that later. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about the, the battles that women face. It's very different, right? Um, you know that because you know that your wife is different or your sisters are different or your mother's different or the women in your life are different. But we're going to talk about the, the battles that they face. They face it very differently. We have some really words of encouragement for them. Uh, it'll be the same thing. We'll have some time where we'll kind of unpack what the temptations look like. Then we'll expose the truth that comes from Jesus Christ. And then we'll give them some time to pray. And then we'll give them homework to go home and tell you that you were always right. So, right, so that's where we're going to go tomorrow night. So excited about uh, going there. Uh, just to give you a preview on Wednesday, it's probably the night I'm most excited about. We're going to talk about the threat that is facing families these days. Uh, and so I'm going to encourage you to bring your whole family if you can, or to watch it together. If you can't make it with your whole family, um, I would encourage you to watch it. For those of you um, who are struggling, maybe only one of you can come live, I'm going to risk something, don't come. Watch it with your family in your house, right? I think Wednesday night's going to be a powerful night for families together, and I'm telling you men who are fathers and husbands, it might be awkward because you're going to have to have some conversation with them on Wednesday night, right? Um, but that conversation is already happening in silence. If you're not having it with them, they're having it with themselves. So we're going to equip you of how to have that conversation with your families. And so Wednesday night's going to be an awesome night. So either join us with your whole family, or if your whole family can't make it, then stay at home with them and watch it together. But we're looking forward to it. So it's been great being with you. I want to uh, kick it on over to Father Mike, who's going to admit that he actually does want to be in Grand Isle. I tell you what. You beg the bishop, you beg him to release you from home in Thibodeau so you can come to Lapland and just be. Tell you what. Oh, yeah, I got to tell you what. My. Yes. Okay. I, I will speak to Bishop Fob right now. Bishop Fob, I will ask Bishop Des. What's that? Bishop, I will ask Bishop Desatel to come to Lafayette if Father Mike gives up on the widow's peak and shaves his head. <laughs> This is what a gratitude uh, to all of our team, especially uh, Father Mark. One way that we do um, thank him is that we um, we just take care of him for coming down. He came all the way, how painstaking travel from Grand Isle all the way to be with us for three days, um, just speaking to 
wives and things in your family, we, we do want to take care of your kids, so we can take a love offering each night. Um, a word of gratitude for our, our worship team. Thank you so much, all of you. Thank you. 